people who are making the most money right now and the most like everything, taking all the resource are very happy that we're in that place. Hmm. They're very, very happy that we continue to consume at the rate we do. All of the things that make us feel better, Amazon deliveries every day, right. every day. I need yeah. a package every day. Yeah. You know, all of the booze, drugs, all of it, pharmaceutical drugs is, is the main culprit here. Like all of those things are built to try and ease the pain that we're creating ourselves. So the people who are in your circle influence that, but that doesn't mean you just are like, everybody's out because they're doing and feeling the same way you are. Right. So the reframe that I like to offer people is you can grow with the people who you already love and who love you. You just have to start to have honest conversations that are going to be really difficult, Hmm. really, really difficult. Cause, and, and we'll talk about men for a second. The reason we can have these conversations is only generally after midnight with a fifth of whiskey in us yeah. because now we're comfortable to talk to each other. That's right. And then we have the easy out of I had too much to drink the next day if somebody brings it back up. You're listening to the Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone and I've dedicated my entire life to helping people win. Win in their careers, win in their businesses, and win in their lives. This podcast is going to help you get on your grind and hustle to create the life that you love and walk in gratitude along the journey. Each episode, I'll teach you tools and tactics and bring you conversations with experts that will help you turn your passion into a thriving online business. Life isn't about wishing for something greater. It's about making it happen. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it. Welcome to the Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone, also known as Coach Stone. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. If you've been listening for a while, you know I got a lot of love for you. And thank you to the listeners from 36 countries around the world. Uh, Continue to subscribe, like, and share. Today, I have a really amazing guest. As always, you guys know I always bring you really great guests. So let me tell you a little bit about him before we jump into the conversation. He calls himself he calls himself an advocate, an agitator, and an accomplice. Can't wait to talk to him about that. He's a social entrepreneur, an international speaker, a chef, a humanitarian, an artist, a former rapper, still DJ, a world traveler, and this guy's so much more. He's, he's a real renaissance man. Uh, he's had 11 businesses under his belt. For the last eight or nine years, he took over Save On Meats, uh, a Vancouver-based institution that has provided food security and access since 1957. Wow. Um, With his partnerships uh, with a Better Life Foundation and other organizations, they have provided 2.8 million meals to people in need. I mean, that's amazing. Please welcome to the show my man, Mark Brandt. How you doing, man? I'm great, brother. So good to see your face. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be having this conversation with you today. And I just reflecting when we started, like, man, you and me know each other 32 years. Wow. (laughs) John. (laughs) 32. That's that's crazy, right? It's so crazy how life, like, it feels like yesterday, and this is a really just good baseline for us to start on, like, we say it moves so fast and then also it feels like it's moving so slow and both of those things are true. 
but we are, we're made up of like, you know, I'm just having flashbacks of us doing the running man to build him to bow at Dark <laughs> One of us was better at it than the other. And well, you know. That one, you know. I'm just saying, I was trying to keep up. And, you know, playing ball at the, you know, community Y and the Dartmouth Boys and Girl Club. And, like, that was kind of, like, where we we didn't we didn't have strong family structures, a lot of us. So that was where we kind of raised each other and where we spent a lot of time together and, like, the interpersonal dynamics of how we learned how to be men, right? And that was, man, we were kids. But we, like, the things that we faced and the things that we grew up amongst when we were like 14, 15, when you look back at it, of course, it's like the frog in the boiling pot. But man, you know, yeah. race riots that got caught on CNN, like it was, it was a lot. Man, so, so I'm appreciative of you. And I'm just like, I know that I bring all of that energy also into this conversation of reflection of like, it helped shape the person that I am. I know it helped shape the person you are. So that's, a, I mean, that's a great place to start, Mark, because, you know, we grew up in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, which is, um, you know, uh, a, a somewhat small city uh, in the east coast of Canada for my listeners all around the world. What, what was your experience like growing up in Dartmouth? Like we had some, like you just said, we had some really amazing kind of experiences. And then you go to race riots that were, made CNN. So like, what was your personal experience like growing up in Dartmouth? Man, I have nothing but love for all of the experience. I just was all start there. Like, I traveled the whole world when I was very young. And so I felt, you know, people were like, wow. I'm like, no, not good. Not, not the kind of travel the world. Like I was just ripped from place to place as a youth um, and out of necessity because my folks were just running and gunning and trying to make it make sense. Right. And so by the time I got to Nova Scotia, I was nine and I didn't know what was up or down. I'd had three different accents already. I'd, you know, spoken Arabic as my first language wow. and, you know, had an English accent when I was five or six. And so I was just like, yo, I just need some stability. Right. And, and that's what we all want. We want community and we want stability. Uh, and my formative years in Nova Scotia, like I, I found a real peace in the people. So my family became very important. My mom's from Dartmouth. Like she's, right. you know, third generation, fourth generation Scotian um, from Cape Breton. And um, for those of you listening internationally, uh, maritime people are a very special kind of people. They're they right. bred hardened. And we, we come up hard, but we also have a very, very big hearts. I know tomorrow if I was in Newfoundland or Prince Edward Island or New Brunswick or Dartmouth, and I literally knocked on somebody's door and was like, I need a meal. I have no question that I would have that and I would have shelter by the evening. Absolutely. I have zero question, right? So you can't say that about many places in the world. You really just can't. And even though we are, you know, it's violent. And there's a lot of a lot of challenges there. The hearts are, are massively big. So I use that as sort of the container for how I grew up. But my family, lots of mental illness, lots of alcoholism, lots of abuse, lots of stuff just going on. And all of the families around us are very, very similar. Like we start drinking at 12, 13 years old. That's that's yeah. a societal norm. Yeah. Right. It's not like it's a freak thing. It's like, great, how much can you drink of this 1.5 liter of cheap wine that's yeah. mainly rubbing alcohol from the <laughs> liquor store? That's that's a rite of passage. Yes. Right? That's like, yeah. yo, can you hold your liquor at 13? Yeah. Right? And then we start experimenting with drugs, you know, like hash, acid, et cetera, were rampant when we were teenagers and we did lots of it. Yeah. And, you know, what is that? How does that shape your young, impressionable mind? And then, of course, we were right in the center of the evolution of the gangster rap era. Right. And being a very mixed population, right? Tons of white kids, tons of indigenous kids, tons of black kids, tons of brown kids, tons of Lebanese kids. There's yeah. just like, yeah. 
Nobody thinks of Nova Scotia as a multicultural place, but our experience growing up was extremely multicultural. Definitely. Um, and in the tinderbox of poverty, gangster rap, violence. I mean, you, you and I can remember going to a McDonald's parking lot and like literally squabbing between high schools with weapons. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was like a movie. It was really like a movie. And uh, I actually remember getting beat up by the police for loitering, quote unquote, loitering. And, and so it, a lot went on. But I'm like you. I think Dartmouth just made me who I am. I take it everywhere I go. There's just something about the people and the way that we grew up. And, and it's always been a place, no matter where I'm at in the world, uh, it's just something that is, is a, there's just something about people from Nova Scotia, the way that we are, and, and people are attracted to that. And so I want to, I want to talk to you because I, I saw that you put this on your, on your Instagram, that you're an advocate, an agitator and an accomplice. What do you mean by that? Yeah. And I guess, you know, setting the stage, you, you did a great job of introducing me, but Currently, I, I have a bunch of different hats that I wear, um, and this will come back into why I am those things and why I identify as those things, right? Yeah. So I run the businesses that I run, which is a Better Life Foundation charity on three borders, Canada, the U.S. side, and in Mexico. And what a Better Life Foundation does is focuses on feeding, training, and employing people coming out of the margins, recidivism, street entrenchment, diversability. When I say diversely abled, I mean physical or mental non-societal normal behavior mm. so diversely abled not disabled yeah disabled is an ableist term that is just it's utter bullshit so we can't say that right so we say what are you better at than anybody else and our employment structure is always made up of 60 percent plus people with heavy barriers to employment and we prove metrics both financially that this is why this makes good business sense and this is why it makes sense in your community i've been doing that for 10 years amazing love it been starting brick and mortar businesses from galleries to sushi restaurants. I have a slow food restaurant and cocktail bar that I've had for 12 years, just over my shoulder here. And what's important to also name is I'm coming to you from the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Snohomish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Mm. Most of us are on indigenous land, if not all on the Americas and the largest genocides were created here as an accomplice and as an agitator. I like to make sure that people understand whose land they're on. I'm very blessed to be able to, spend time here, but I do my part to try and push towards reconciliation wherever I am. So that part is very, very big to me. On these the business lens, I always just wanted to put friends on. So if you had a particular skill as X and we were family, we would build a business around you to help elevate you. And when we say build business, I don't talk about building decks and building business plans. I mean, let's find a space Let's get all of our creative friends around. Let's scratch together whatever cash we have. We had no investors until Save On. So that was business nine. Wow. Uh, and I just didn't believe in it and put things together around people. So I'm an accomplice into your success. I want you to be great. Of course, sometimes that goes well. Sometimes it goes terrible. That's life. That's how it goes. Uh, and then my other hats that I wear is I work with the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization, Arm of the United Nations. Right. And I'm a United Nations catalyst. What does that mean? It means I work with a group of 400 organizations and individuals to try and change the world in a positive manner using the Sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs as our baseline. And look those up if you're listening, you don't know what that is. It essentially means that if we don't achieve these goals by 2030, we're already going to see a, you know, a massive increase in rise of, of tides and rise of water displacing over a billion people. All of these things are intrinsically connected 
So I work on that on the food stream. So food waste, food recovery, and then also poverty and marginalization. So I chair the board in and around the food-based stuff. So that's that's another hat. And then the last hat I guess I wear consistently is I'm a professor of innovation and design thinking. So design thinking is the way of looking at a human as the center and building out around that thesis. You know, so you say a sushi restaurant, you're like, well, there's no sushi restaurants around here. You're actually like, hey, who is the constituent? Let me ask them specifically what they would like, what they don't like. It's all free to ask people questions and then start to build out based on real ethnography, which is listening research. And so I teach that to people and I'm very specific who I teach. I don't teach rich white dudes, which I used to. I was teaching the doctoral of social work program at the University of Southern California. So I was helping them do their capstone products. Okay. So you're thinking about people who are making 38K a year their whole life are now going for their PhDs. And I teach them those skills. Mm. So I think in between all of that, what we're working on and what I'm working on on a day-to-day basis is the injustice, the systemic injustice, capitalism that has destroyed us and has put us into a place of like dog eat dog and we've, we've used up the resources and we need to figure out a new way to live. And so when in that agitator, obviously, <laughs> I go into the conversation and start to shake shit up. And not in a way of like, you're wrong. I'm an integral facilitator. So I use full body facilitation and energy facilitation to be like, what if we looked at this just from this lens? Just take five minutes to do so. Right. So it's gentle versus accusatory. Right. Accusing people never gets us anywhere. It just gets us more angry. So we have to work together. So that is the agitator. It's a little bit of a pun almost. And then as an accomplice, man, I walk shoulder to shoulder with whoever it is that we're fighting with. So I work front lines. I love that so much about my job. I work in community, Brownsville, Oakland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, here in Vancouver, Toronto, back in Nova Scotia, work with the Brunswick Street Mission and the Indigenous Center on Godigan. Like I care deeply about the frontline people and how we help get them resources that they need. And so I think that gives you like an idea of why those three A's were there. It used to be um, passion, X profanity, X purpose. And then a funny little juice chain decided that they loved that too. So they took it. So (laughs) man, that's so powerful. You know, this is, this is great because I think for a lot of us, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about how the UN thing happened in a minute, but I think for a lot of us who are feeling maybe forgotten, feeling stuck, left behind, the world doesn't care about me, or maybe you're just in a place where you're at this point where you're, you're trying to forge forward and you're trying to make some things happen but you can't seem to do it on your own. And what you said, and I love this, uh, my wife put me onto this book um, called Who, Not How. Who, Not How by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Ben Hardy. And what you just said, you talked so much about the who. So talk a little bit about that because a lot of the things that you were able to do is because of the who you were able to connect with. And so I think there's people right now who are like, I just can't do this on my own. I'm around a lot of negative people or people are trying to hold me back. Talk a little bit about the who and why that's so important. Absolutely. And I mean, you just, you answer part of the question in the last sentence and who you surround yourself with is critically important. And I think we, we've gotten into this age of cancel culture, which is massive. Right. And then we're in this, and I just wrote a post about this a couple of days ago, because I'm trying, I try to frame things for people. So it's not so aggressive. <laughs> yeah. We have all of these very popular social media accounts and books and people being like, 
cut this person because they're toxic. And these are the traits that they might portray. And it's, it's like all of these maybes that you start to then evaluate all the people in your life with. And it's so toxic and it's so dangerous, right? Because you're like, of course, everybody's going to tick one of these boxes. That's right. So essentially, we're in the most isolated time we've ever been on in, in, in history. We are ne- we've never been more isolated. Before this, I always used to say we're the most connected, disconnected generation that's ever lived. Right. Like, don't connect with each other already. We're already suspicious of everything and everyone. Nobody likes us. We can see by the internet. We're not doing well enough. And so we keep our circles of like small thinking and small toxic energy tight in the way we relate to each other is by cutting other people down. And it's, it's insane. It's like literally it's everything that's counterintuitive to everything that we're built of, which is why it makes feel so bad. Yeah. it's like, I, I temporarily feel a spike by saying some shit about somebody. And then I feel this huge drop. And then I turn to alcohol or drugs or the internet or all three or sex, all four. And then those are the ways that I escape that, but it's only temporary. So it's just a big cycle of negativity that we're in. And I say this not with a tinfoil hat, but the people who are making the most money right now and the most like everything, taking all the resource are very happy that we're in that place. Hmm. They're very, very happy that we continue to consume at the rate we do. All of the things that make us feel better, Amazon deliveries every day, right. yeah, every day, I need yeah. a package every day, yeah. you know, all of the booze, drugs, all of it, pharmaceutical drugs is, is the main culprit here. Like all of those things are built to try and ease the pain that we're creating ourselves. So the people who are in your circle influence that, but that doesn't mean you just are like, everybody's out because they're doing and feeling the same way you are. Right. So the reframe that I like to offer people is you can grow with the people who you already love and who love you. You just have to start to have honest conversations that are going to be really difficult, mm. really, really difficult. Cause, and, and we'll talk about men for a second. The reason we can have these conversations is only generally after midnight with a fifth of whiskey in us, yeah. because now we're comfortable to talk to each other. That's right. And then we have the easy out of, I had too much to drink the next day. If somebody brings it back up, Right. Right. But we need to get comfortable just having the conversation. And I have it online out loud all the time. I see you're struggling. You know, I relapsed. I'm an alcoholic. I'm four years sober under my belt. I relapsed during the pandemic. Congratulations. And people are like, oh my God, you can talk about that and be a business person and work with the United Nations. I'm like, you have to. You didn't not I can I. If they turn their back on me, that's fine. I know that. And I'm okay. But they don't. They dig in deeper. They're like, we can trust this person. Right. Right. So my success is not hinged on my success. It's hinged on my ability to connect with the authenticity of me, my truth. And then people will move and shift around you and you will work on those relationships. I had people who couldn't give another man a hug when I started working with them in 0607. Like hug culture was not a thing. Right. Right. right? You dap me out. Side dap from That's distance. Right. Handshake, you know, pound. Yeah. What, what are you doing now? Like I got ex-cons hugging me so long and sobbing into my ear. Like, yes. Yeah. Yo, get it out. Like we we if you feel this and you contain it, you will never succeed. Right. I promise you. There's only one way to success that way, and it's being an extractor, and we see them all the time. Right. A narcissistic extractor where you're just like, I'm taking everything. Yeah. Take, take, take. Yeah. And then you leave a, a, a path of like blood and fire behind you 
and you are the most miserable you can be. And I can speak from experience in that space. I tried that route for a minute and it doesn't, doesn't work. Um, you, you get money. <laughs> yeah, of course. So helpful. Mark, like, you know, since you're open about that, like, how did you make that, that shift from, you know, being an alcoholic to being sober for so long to having a setback and then getting back on track? Like how, talk a little bit about that journey because there's people right now, I know as a result of the pandemic um, who are listening right now, who are in the same situation. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm speaking directly to you at this point. Uh, you are not your mistakes and, and you are not your, your slips. Um, they don't define you. It, really what defines you is how you're going to deal with them. Right. So how, how you either take ownership of what that is. And that, I mean, we have people who struggle with food who are just like, I am power eating. I put on 30 pounds. Like that's your heart and your health are struggling. Alcohol and drugs have a very, very specific impact on your mental health. Yeah. They're depressants. Like they, it says it right in the title. Like exactly. <laughs> nobody's trying to hide it from you. Exactly. They're going to let you know if you do this, you are going to be depressed. And when you're depressed, you can still be very high functioning. When you're an alcoholic, you can be very high functioning. I was running all those businesses, drinking literally every night. And I don't, I don't mean like on a park bench, brown bag. Let's let's define. I was having five to eight drinks a day. Right. Every day. In a cocktail bar, on a brewery, like, you know, right. just slipping. Oh, I'll have a little sake here, a little cocktail here, a little beer here. Go to bed at 9, 30, 10. Wake up, struggle a little bit at 5, 36 to get back into my routine. Because I work 16-hour days, seven days a week for almost eight years. Wow. And my brain just hurt and I became really hard on people and I became very hard on myself. And it's because the poison. Yeah. And so I'm zooming out to zoom back into the answer to the question, which is the poison that you put in that creates depression and also disassociates your soul from your body. It's a deep indigenous belief. And it's just true. You know, you become a different person when you're under the influence and that person is less inhibited. They care less. They might be more sarcastic, aggressive. They think they're funny, you know, but they're barbed. And that is your shadow. Your Mm -hmm. shadow comes dominant, right? So you're a good person, your good soul, your heart, your good nature is it leaves. It's like, I'm going to take a minute. Shadow is here. Shadow is going to be at play. And so when your shadow is at play, you start to do the things that you regret. Mm -hmm. And that could be, again, in any of those buckets that I earlier mentioned. And so during the pandemic, you're like, well, what else am I going to do? Yeah. I'm here. I'm stuck. Like I'm dark already. And alcohol and drugs have a really funny way of convincing you that it's okay. So in my slip, it was, oh, it was never about alcohol. It was about you facing your demons and you've worked through all that stuff and you now know it. So it's okay to have a drink. Yeah. I'm a smart dude. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. And then convince some other people around me. I was like, yeah, this is going to be okay. We'll give it a shot. It wasn't okay. And nothing bad happened aside from to me and my mind. And so it stepped me back and I was very depressed again, just in a really bad place. And it's false. Mm. It's not real. It's all very fake. And the narratives that are created in your brain of negativity are just 10 X by alcohol and drugs. There's no reprieve. It's a false reprieve. Um, So anybody who's struggling with it right now, I just, the thing that I use as a tool is comparison. Mm. And they say comparisons and people enjoy them. Comparisons are a really good skill set mm. that you can also use. So at the end of my day, I'm like, what did you accomplish today? 
how'd you do? Who'd you make feel better? You know, like who, whose life did you impact in a positive manner? And you got to write that shit down. I love that. And you take the other days when you may have been drinking or whatever you were doing, do the same and then just hold them up because evidence, you can't run from it. Right. You're like, Oh wow. Yeah. Cause evidence isn't a feeling. It's true. And even, what are you gra- and, and even like, what are you grateful for? It's easy to focus on the things that you don't have. You woke up, didn't you? I mean, you traveled all over the world. So you've seen, you know, extreme poverty. You've seen people struggling. You've seen so, you know, so many things. And I think for a lot of us, you know, it, it's hard to see your way through something when you're going through it, right? You're in it. You can't see your way out of it. And so it's like, oh, this isn't working. Oh, I got this bill or oh. And I think what you said is great because it's about comparison. Like, well, what do you have? What is working? Who did you help today? What did you get accomplished? And and that kind of, you can't focus on two things at the same time. So so it's like, well, this is what I did do, right? So I think that's great that you said that because I think it's really important for us to understand that no matter what we're going through or mistakes that we've made or failures, we're still here. And we're still are achieving things and helping people and accomplishing things. So I'm glad that you said that, man. That, that that's really great for for pe- for all of us to focus on, you know. So how did the whole partnership with the United Nations? How did that come about? It's fun. That's a fun story. So I've been using food as um, as everything. It's my Trojan horse. It's a conduit. Um, you probably remember back in the day, I worked at John's Pizza at McMahon. <laughs> I got a job there at like 14, right? And they taught me how to make dough. They taught me how to make pizza. I was supposed to be doing the dishes. And I was just like, I was on them all the time. And so they taught me how to cook. And I was like 14 years old. And then my aunt Diane taught me how to cook even further. And she ran pubs and she was a chef. And um, I had always had that in my back pocket. And so whenever I traveled, I used it as, as a way to sort of like meet people, hang out, do the thing, or just to get a job. I was a breakfast cook in Melbourne uh, at a hotel, you know, like whatever it took to, to, to get by while I was traveling, cooking was always something I could fall back on, right. but it didn't become part of my personality or the way that I forward faced because I became a DJ for nine to 10 years. And then that was my profession. And then right. my profession was bartender, I became a cocktail bartender, bartender of the year here in Vancouver. That was my first arrival thing. That's what I did. And I just applied food. That's why I was good at it. And then started opening restaurants and businesses. So became the CEO and the businessman. And so it was like top 40 under 40, all the bullshit that comes along with that, that nobody actually cares about. <laughs> but that I wasn't, nobody ever was like, oh, it's Chef Mark. And so for me, I realized that there's, and this will be very helpful for people. I'm just finishing a book about it. So there's the Venn diagram of where your, your passion and your purpose intersect and like how you actually help the world. And I won't go too much into it unless we have time at the end, but ultimately I define that I love cooking and I love cooking for people and I'm really good at it. And I know how to run a kitchen and all of those things. I just wasn't known for it. And I was like, maybe I'll do it again. I have all the tools at my disposal. So I started cooking professionally again and getting way better at it, like sharpening all my skills, working in different kitchens with different people, bringing in different chefs, learning from them. Um, And at that point, I was offered a position to be the executive chef of the Logato Sea Challenge at the Vatican. 
And so Laudato Si' challenge was Pope Francis put forward, I'm not a religious person, just to get that out of the way, which makes the story even better, Uh, (laughs) but was asked to do this dinner for 400 people for climate change at the Vatican in Rome and base it around the methodologies and the understandings of poverty and localize, et cetera. And it was a great That's amazing, man. That's amazing. I saw that. Wow. Incredible, man. It was beautiful and hard. And there's lots of fun side stories to that that we'll get into another time. But at that point, I was like, oh. I definitely know what I'm doing and I absolutely can do this thing. So I ran it with 14 Italian chefs and we had a bowl and I was like, yo, I just love this. I love communicating through food. It's very Scotian as well. You know, it's very much at the heart. Our kitchen is the heart of what we do. So I just continued on that path. I was like, I can actually advocate way stronger from these platforms than I can as a business person. So I'm just going to go move into this harder and be in the center of this conversation because I can cook circles around most of these cats with due respect. Like I love what I do. Let's do more of it. By the way, Mark, um, did you, I, did you ever go to school for culinary? No, never. Good, that, but yeah. I've taught, which is great. So <laughs> I, most of the people that I work with that I love that cook, um, haven't. And I, I mean that again, with all due respect, I've, all the chefs in my employ went to culinary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing about culinary school is it's for people who've never cooked. Right. It's like, you know, you got your uncle who could fix a car better than anybody, but he never went to mechanic school. Right. So they just didn't have the influence in their life and they wanted to get the professional designation that allows them to to do that. Same with artists, same with musicians, et cetera. Scratch made musicians, scratch made all of it relevant. So I look at everybody, but most of the people in my employee have come up through a certain structure. Um, I didn't come up through that structure. I worked in lots of kitchens, yeah. uh, but I didn't have the thing. So did that and then uh, ended up taking on the role of executive chef for the American Refugee Committee, uh, now known as a light, and I did a stint with them for a year amongst everything else. So how you can do these roles is I'm doing large scale events and I'm doing smaller convenings and I'm helping inform food policy. Right. So this is what this might look like and bringing all of the different social impact skills I have to this particular designation. Had a ball with them. Really, really fun. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to focus on my thing and brought dinners for good across America. So with me as a center point chef, bringing on other cooks and did dinners, focusing on all different things like we do here in the downtown east side. But gun violence in Oakland, homelessness in San Francisco, poverty and access to food in New York and brought all my musician friends alongside and was hosting these dinners. So it became really known for like, if you want to have a hard conversation and convene something that's beautiful, you hire this guy to do it, Awesome, which was awesome. So I got to do lots of these things and I got a phone call uh, from an organization called the Future Food Institute that I got connected to a friend of mine named Tim West, Chef Tim West. And they said, hey... We're doing this convening. We're going to be doing it in Bushwick. And we would love you to be the chef for it. It's around food waste. And I was like, yeah, tell me about the parameters. And I fell in love with the organization. And the woman who runs it, her name is Sarah Versi and her, her partner, Andrea. They're incredible. And so we're going, they're Italian. They're super high energy. They're like, the dinner's in a week. And can you do this? I'm like, pressure is my name. Let's do it. Um, and then they were like, could you also address this issue at the United Nations. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yes, of course I can do that. I would love to do that. And so I was brought into a panel, um, including leaders from the EU and across the world to talk about poverty and food waste and harm reduction. That's amazing. Um, the work we've been in the middle of. So in the middle of that conversation, 
first of all, that conversation goes sideways because I arrive and I get really frustrated really fast that everybody's wasting time introducing themselves. I'm like, I know who you are. Like I read your bios, mine's online. Let's can we stop this? But it's not my place. I'm also dressed. <laughs> I also get I get moved to the media row early on by this Italian new delegate in like a ten thousand dollars suit. He's like, sorry, sir, media's back there. So I went and sat until they called me. He was mad, embarrassed. Um, but represent who you are, right? So I got there. They start talking. And I'm like, man, we are not talking about the important things at all. So they ask me to talk. I'm like, I'm going to go at the end. And they're like, it's not really how it works. I'm like, that's how it's going to work for me. Wow. I like, love I'm, it. I'm going to go at the end. And so at the end, I was just taking vicious notes the whole time. I've never read off a laptop. You know, I do this for a living. And I just opened the laptop and I was like, since we sat here, 14,187 people have died of hunger. Since we sat down and we're talking about designations, you know, mm. and then I just ran through the statistics, 3 billion tons of food waste, blah, blah, blah. Like just went through it all. And I was like, I have solutions to this stuff. This is how we work in it. This is what it looks like from a kitchen perspective, et cetera, et cetera. I thought I was going to be thrown out. And not <laughs> Actually went the other way. So the Future Food Institute asked me to continue to be their chef. And I work with them. And we just did a thing with them in Polica in September. I've worked with them in Iceland. And when I say Future Food Institute, I also mean United Nations and FAO. So they work together. So I've been the chef for multiple journeys for them. I've got a couple more coming up and one in Japan. And so the UN saw me a lot. Uh, and they asked me to another round table and this we're almost there around um, global food waste. Okay. And so on September 29th, two years ago, we established with the EU, the United Nations, the Future Food Institute um, and a panel of about eight of us. Global food waste day is September 29th. The focus on what it does to the planet, what it starts with the people, what we can actually do was created there. So the, the UN kept seeing, and then there's a program created called the Catalyst Program that was like, this isn't people who think about stuff. This is people who do stuff. Right. So right. The working group of 400 people, 190 nations, we all get together, and then we break into groups. And as I mentioned earlier, my group is the food thread. So I work directly with them on that. And um, it's just really important work, man because we can change the way that we do all of this stuff. So that's how the UN stuff came about. Man, it, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing the work that you're doing and, and your journey into this. I mean, you said a whole bunch of things in there that I think we all need to catch. There's a lot of things going on there. One is just keep showing up, you know, just keep showing up, being who you are every single day. And you'll uh, eventually start to attract the right who's and the right people. The other thing that I, that I like that you said, man, is we have, see, the problem I have with asking a young person, what do you want to be when you grow up? It, it makes the assumption you can only be one thing. And first of all, how do you know at 10? How do you know at 19? How do you know at 50? You just know that you're good at something. You don't know that that's the thing that you're meant to do. And why does it only have to be one thing? So I often tell people, I think right. the question we should be asking people at all phases of their life and ourselves is, what are you curious or passionate about right now? And so that opens the door. It opens the door for so many things. So what I like that you did was you combined things that you're passionate about together. And so talk a little bit about that, because I think sometimes people think, well, this is over here because, you know, I used to DJ back in the day and I love that. So that, OK, that's one box. And then I love the public speaking. That's another box. And then I love the like, why does everything have to be siloed and isolated and you have to choose one thing? You were able to combine everything. So talk a little bit about that. Definitely. And so 
you, you said renaissance early. And if you hearken back to that time, and you use that word specifically, yeah. the people that we admire most and we look at were scientists and artists at the same time. Right. They were mathematicians and musicians. Same time. Right. Because we're all that. Right. We get it twisted. We start to box ourselves in, in our possibilities very, very early. I never adhered to that. Right. And I refuse to believe it. And I've been mocked. I've been ripped. Smear pieces have been written about me. You're not a real chef. That's <laughs> your, that's your opinion. Right. That's not my reality. I got, <laughs> I got all the ribbons and all the things, man. I'm, I'm a real chef. Right. Chef just means chief of your kitchen. My kitchens. That's, that's, People get offended or upset because they feel threatened or they feel like they're not doing enough. That's not for you. That's their shit. And you can try your whole life to try and make other people feel comfortable. It's not going to serve you and it will never be enough for them. No. I promise you. So you just got to do you. Like just right behind me, you can see right where my thumb is. Those are turntables. Yeah. You came and watched the set the other day. I still play records and people are like, and you're working with the UN. You don't have time for rap records. I'm like, I definitely have time for rap records. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm making time to play Fuck the Police by JD today. Like, I this is important to me. This is my conduit. This is my love. This is my passion. If you say that I have to be X and I can't be Y, well, then X suffers. And I promise you that will always be the case, right? These things fuel. It's centrifugal fuel. So I draw from music into the way that I speak, your public speaker, to the way I create or to my understanding of the world. You and I were both at the Public Enemy concert at Dartmouth Sportsplex when we were 14 years old. That changed my life. Me too. And I mean that in Me the too. most serious of ways. Like My life was never the same, man. I got to open for Chuck and Public Enemy 20 years later and was like, you changed my life. I was in the front row waiting for you for four hours and just leaning on a good friend of ours. But when you step to stage and you use the pentameter of your voice to talk about injustices that nobody was talking about, things moved. So when people are like, oh, you're just playing those cute rap records, I'm like, these are my prophets. Yeah. These are my leaders. These are my people that like show me things that I don't, I'm not aware of. I, I listen through their experience. So it's integral to my work as an advocate. Right. When I'm on the UN floor, I am channeling the people who I respect from community leadership because they're the real leaders. It is wonderful to be able to recite from a book of understanding of political science. I don't disrespect it and I don't disavow it. I think it's important in the conversation, but it's not for me. Right. What's for me is the people who are there. And so all of the different skill sets are just my Trojan horse into getting into the conversation. When I address 400 very privileged people at a dinner in Rome about poverty, and I've got 90 seconds, I know how to use that 90 seconds because of Chuck. That's right. <clears throat> That's why. So when you say, oh, well, you're not a chef. Somebody else, what did they say? This was really fucking mean. Oh, they were like, oh, you were never unhoused. I'm like, man, you don't know my life. Really? Like when I share about homelessness, when I talk about it, I want to debunk it so people can feel comfortable not being ashamed. Homeless doesn't mean you were the guy sitting on the corner with a tin can and a thing, a sign and the dog. That's also homeless. Homeless means sleeping in your car. Homeless means having been in a shelter. Homeless means couch surfing with your mom right. because you lost your house. That's all homeless. Right. And so we did this piece with now this and it went viral. It's like 25 million views or something. And a couple of people caught real feelings. They're like, you're saying this. I'm like, first of all, that's editing room shit. And second of all, 
why would that upset you? Right. That lived experience is being shared. So all of that is the superpower. That's the tool. And so when we're taught as individuals, you have to be a car mechanic, right? Or you have to be a doctor or you have to be a lawyer or you have to do these things. Some of my favorite lawyers are huge rap fans. Right. And they also play records at their friends' weddings. Right. You know, don't ever allow anybody to extinguish any of the flames that make you passionate. And it's not about a giant audience. I did a back-to-back set last night with my friend Spinurita from Los Angeles. Oh, cool. Right. I had 45 people watching. That's 45 people who are way happier because I'm playing <laughs> records. Now it's not 5,500 people at a keynote in Monterey, Mexico, but they're different. Yeah. Also, numbers don't matter. No. So when you're thinking about how you're going to impact somebody's life or what your purpose is, think about the one person that you're going to impact whose life you might intrinsically change, who's in a really dark moment that might just come out of that moment because of you. And don't be afraid and stop measuring against what societal normative behavior is. And when I say societal normative behavior, norms are really important to understand because it's the way that we govern our social structures. That's right. Successful norms. Don't be in that. Say, fuck the norms. This is what I love. This is what I think. Because there's never been you. You're, you're it. You are the first and only individual, beautiful, incredible you. What are you going to do? Right. And you can feel it. So don't, don't suppress it for anybody's comfort. And those people will either come along or they'll be gnarly at you on the internet. I don't don't worry about that. I think, yeah, man, that was great. I think, you know, um, we, we, we have to stop looking to other people to validate us and we have to validate ourselves. The reason that you're here, you're, you're validated by waking up every day. And I think what you said about, worrying about what other people have to say about you and, and, and getting derailed and getting focused. I think for a lot of us, it's what do you really want in your life? Like, what does it look like for you? What does happiness look like? What does success look like? Not other people's, not what society tells you, not what you see on social media, but like, what is it for you? Maybe it's just, man, I'm happy living out of a van with, with my wife and my kid and traveling the world. Like, that's cool. Like, what is it for you? And I think it's very difficult for people to, to define what it is because we just don't step back and think about what is it that I really want. And so when you talk about mm-hmm. passion and purpose, all of these things get, get kind of decided for you, right? And so I like the fact that you can say, I, I want to do all of these things combined as one. And, and I choose to do that. Like I, I know one of my friends is a principal and he DJs like two or three times a week on Twitch. <laughs> because he wants to, right? Oh. So you can do whatever you want. There's no rules to this thing. And I like the fact that you're saying that, you know, you you never went to culinary school. You've, you, you've started restaurants, managed kitchens. Like the, you're the one who defined yourself. And I love the fact that you said that. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you got going for you in terms of the who's and the people that you work with. What are the, those those things like, What's a big setback that you've had in your life that you really kind of struggled with? I know you, you know you touched on some things earlier, but something that you just really had a hard time kind of getting through it. Yeah, oh man. I mean, yesterday, you know, like and I mean that without being facetious. We work with people with mental illness, and I had um an employee turn a corner last weekend and needed actual real help. And so 
you know, you're in the throes of that and somebody's physical well-being is is within the structure of what you're how you're dealing while juggling other things. And all, a lot of the time when I'm in the center of that stuff, and I'm like, oh my God, like I don't I gotta focus, but it's really hard. So the that just gives you on the day-to-day minutia. It's not all sunshine, puppy dogs, and Jay Dilla seven inches. You know what I mean? Like right. it's a lot more in the world. And so in 2013, I was probably at the peak of my career, right? I was BC businessman of the year, innovator of the year, all of this stuff was happening and it's, it's all contrived. And I, and I say that because I, not because I have contempt for it, because I have reality for it. Right. When a bunch of people I don't know who are, are voting on a popularity contest based on my actual popularity, not by what I've done, right. um, continue to give awards, who gives a shit? But like I was at the peak. And so I know what happens when you're at the peak. I'm like, Mm, something's gonna give mm-hmm. and you know we were wild like we had all these things going save on was at its peak <clears throat> and i had a disagreement with the multinational supplier massive company trillion dollar company and i decided to go to war with them and i was like what you've done is not acceptable and they were like okay cool and they sued me for almost four hundred thousand dollars Wow. At the exact same time, I'd had a disagreement with the designer. Now, keep in mind, at this time, I've got 600 employees, right? Like, I've got a massive teams. And, of course, in 600, the law of businesses, some people are going to be upset. That just is. You do your best. But I had a falling out with the designer at the same time who was just wild. And he was like, you're going to pay me, and I'm, I've done this, and that's all that, or I'm going to sue you. I was like, okay, good luck with that. And at the exact same time, the person who I co-created my charity and I with, this wonderful woman who dear friends with, we had a disagreement and she moved to litigation. Oh my and so I had three lawsuits hit in a week. I'd never been in a lawsuit before. Wow. And I was like, okay, I guess now I'm finally a businessman. You know, this is how this goes. <laughs> right. um, one of the publications here picked it up and just wrote a, just an absolute stab piece. Golden boy, no longer sued by Cisco, sued by X, Y, Z. And I was like, oh, that's gnarly. But I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, everybody knows me. That doesn't matter. Oh, it mattered. Really? Really hope that you're enjoying this episode of the Grind and Gratitude show. I just wanted to take a minute to ask you a question. Do you have some big goals that you just need to get done? Do you have some goals that you've been working on for years and years and you just can't manage to get them done? Well, let me help you. I have a brand new system that I'm rolling out called the Get It Done System. I've been using this system with people for years to help them crush their goals faster than they ever thought possible and increase their productivity. If you're interested, go to IamDannyStone.com slash get it done. Every single other supplier was like, we're going to put you on cash only. I had three people from my board leave without truth. Just be like, hey, yeah, I'm just juggling things. I had a bunch of people just like turn their back on me. Man. Wow, is this real? Like, right, because you're not. Mm, I never considered that. So, in the long run, huge gift because mm-hmm. it re- helped me reevaluate in my life. I'm just like, God, everybody's down. Everybody's down to collaborate on everything, do everything because I'm at the very, very top of the game, right? Every publication, we got a, a reality TV show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. Like, we're right. riding high. And then as soon as that hit, everybody was like, oh, not everybody, a good chunk of people. And so at that moment, man, I was the most depressed. I was like, oh, my God, is it this that fragile? But that's not real. Mm-hmm. 
Long story short, I also won all of those, by the way. It wasn't oh, that's like awesome, we were, man. My brother. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, we were in the wrong. And, and sorry, that's, that's subjective. We were able to, I mitigated with the partner from the charity and we hugged it up. We literally hugged in the courtroom. I was like, yo, I'm sorry we got this twisted. Like, let's get back. She runs another charity that I'm super supportive of. She's super supportive of mine. That designer just dug in further and hates my guy. Fine. That's yeah. interpersonal. Cisco and I have been working together in partnership every year since. We work on food waste together. We work on all kinds of stuff from the president down. It took us disagreeing to understanding each other that they're just a legal and logistics company. Right. That's all they do. They move stuff and they sue you if you don't pay for it. <laughs> I didn't right. know that. Right. Um, and we became friends because they are a key cog in the system of how we change food future. So nobody hears the follow-up story. All they want is the, the slam headline. And that shit has happened to me multiple times in my career. And so you start to get a little bit more battle hardened. You're like, okay, this is how you get clicks. Cause that article was the third most viewed article in British Columbia that year. Wow. Wow. So, 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 so Mark, does, it, does that make you more selective about who you partner with and who you connect with? Like, are you like super, like really kind of not skeptical, but you, you're, you're more conscious of, of, of the relationship or the person and, and sort of do you more due diligence when you're going into these relationships now? Man, I was peace, love, and hair grease. You know, <laughs> I was like, everybody eat. Let's all just do this thing together. You know what I mean? Why not? And then you realize your dream is not everybody else's dream. First of all, your assumption of their dream is not their dream. Your discussion in a very gregarious way about our future together is not their future. No. So you got to just stop all that shit. And like what we, when we're achieving success or when we're feeling success, we want people to succeed around us. Of course. Everybody succeed, but the path that is available may not be the path they want. True. And they're confused about what they want. Cause they're just like, maybe this is right. So in partnership right now, I have, Three different partners. One I've had for 12 years that is just like a deep level of understanding. One of choice, which is my managing director, another Scotian by the name of Ash McLeod, Ash Tactics, as he's known. He's been with me for eight years, worked his way from the ground up as like a concert booker, essentially, for our live music venue, is now a full partner in all of my endeavors. And we just understand each other and hold each other to a very high standard and can speak our minds. Yeah. And then the third uh, partner I started a brewery with, and I'm, I'm silent in that now. I've stepped back, but it's 11-acre farm and brewery, and it's focused on really important things. People pitch me ideas 25 times a day. I can imagine, yeah. I don't, I don't work with anybody anymore that way because the amount of energy it takes. Where I put my energy is in mentorship, specifically of BIPOC communities, predominantly women. Mm. So that energy that I might go use to make money with, I don't anymore. I use it to mentor right now, five very specific women who are working in everything from entrepreneurial leadership to chefing. Mm. And we work together on their future. And that's, I put a battery in their back and vice versa. Um, and that's where I spend that time that I would have generally spent in more entrepreneurial venues. So, so Mark, like, what, why did you choose women in particular? Because nobody does. So I, I was mentored by white dudes. I'm obviously an extremely privileged. I walk around in this container 
Mm-hmm. As a white person, I am the least threatened. I'm like the apex predator of safety on this planet as a white man. Right. right? And so I could just hang out. I don't hang out with a lot of white dudes. Right. Let me just be very, very frank. And that's no disrespect to, to them. It's just that uh, my energy is in a different place and I've grown into a different place. I love everybody, right. but I have to choose how to spend my time. And I won't mince words here. White dudes mentor other white dudes into success. It's, mm-hmm. it's how the system works. It's rigged. True. Right. And it's not even that they do it by choice. It's they're just like it just is. It's a natural and so thing. the people who were brought to me as mentors love to tell me what to do. They never listen to me. They never listen to me. It was just like, I have expertise, I have more money than you, therefore I know. Like, dude, that doesn't money does not equal expertise. It never once has. The shark tank bullshit. I know those people. You don't want to be involved with them. Right. So what's my role in the world and how am I going to show up? Who do I want to show up for? You heard me talk about it in teaching. I could be teaching rich white dudes for six figures. No problem. Right. I don't. I was teaching for 16 bucks an hour. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not about the money. It's about what are you going to do and who are you going to assist? And also what helps inform you. So the people I mentor were also just fill me up with joy. Those are people I love, like genuinely love. Yeah. And so why I chose that and why I designed that way is because young white dudes <laughs> have enough of an advantage. Y'all got this. Yeah. You can read my posts. You can listen to my podcasts. You can read the books. You got this. You don't need my personal attention in right. any way. Right. Right. You got enough, enough going for you. No, so I love that. Man. No, I love that. That's great. You know, you, and the other thing too, which what I like that you said is, um, Show up authentically, like be yourself. You know, I, I growing up in school, I was told that I was a terrible writer. I had teachers just tell me like, you, 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 it's not your thing. Like just, you know, and, um, you know, part of it is I just wrote an article about this and posted on LinkedIn about the fact that I have a book out, a solo book. And then I wrote, co-wrote another book with nine other black men called New Me. And, and I thought about it. Just recently, I said, well, maybe the reason I didn't like writing is because everything that I learned in school was about my history as a, as a slave. Who wants to write about that? And that's, hey, so I, I, wrote, I actually wrote an article about it. And I'm, I'm the type of person where I just give it to you as it's coming out. There's no editing or nothing. So I just go on LinkedIn uh, a couple of days ago. I said, um, I hold up a picture of both books in my hand. And it was just like a moment for me, like, man, I actually got books out that people are buying. And by the way, I wrote the first book just to help one person. So I agree with what you said about one person, because I never thought anybody would even really read it. But I said, man, if it could help some someone who needs it, like something, then it, I don't care if 99% of the people hate it. So I'm telling this whole go. story on LinkedIn, and I'm talking about I, I interwove it with black history, Canadian black history figures who I wish I had known. And then I just kind of ended with this whole thing with like, this is why these books are important to me because I was told I was a terrible writer. i never learned about my history. I had to learn on my own. But even when I wrote the books, it was me. It was authentic. And at first I, I used to read books and I thought maybe I could write like this person. Maybe I should write the book like this. And I just like, you know what? I'm just going to be me. And the books reach, you know, readers in eight countries and whatever um, incarcerated men are hearing are reading the book right now. And so I love the fact that you're talking about be yourself, just be yourself in everything that you do. 
because you will attract the right people, the right opportunities and the right situations. And that's a, a, what I'm getting a lot from what you're saying. It's absolutely correct, man. And huge congratulations on the success that came from you just understanding. First of all, I have all these messages. I've learned these things. People need to learn them as well because that is that is how movements are created. Right. right. That's really, really critically important. So thank you for also reflecting back the lesson that it is just truly about being you. And you is going to change. Yeah. Like I, one of my favorite statements is people don't know how to deal with the new you because they don't have access to you. Oh, right. Man. I got people telling stories about me from 2011. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. <laughs> like I wasn't the same a month after that. Right. I'm not going to be tomorrow. And something else is just bubbling for me that I think is really important to share with folks is um, acknowledging why you're triggered. So as somebody who triggers people as a self-proclaimed agitator, I'm not triggering you to hurt you. I'm triggering you so that you can have a look at it and start to own it. Right. So when we talk about privilege, I put up a tweet the other day and I was like, can you please stop giving cutesy nicknames to the pandemic? Because somebody is reading this who's lost and recently buried somebody. Mm. And man, I upset people. They were like, humor is my way of dealing with pressure. And I'm like, cool. Maybe don't use your way of dealing with pressure to really hurt people. Right. Maybe you could find another way or just do it in private. Like you don't need to be doing this. And somebody was like, well, you just attacked all of meme culture and Twitter. I was like, First, I didn't attack anybody. Right. I was just making a kind suggestion. And people just react so viscerally because they realize it's their behavior. It's a mirror. They're like, shit, that's me. Man, I've been doing shit, that's me for 30 years. Yeah. And I'll continue to do it until I'm dead. Because I'd be doing these things. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't come from a place of like, I know better. As soon as you move into a superiority mindset, it's over for you. True. Because somebody's going to find a crack. Like um, when people come at me, I'm like, oh, maybe read back through my Instagram for the last seven years. I've already named it all. There's nothing. There's nothing for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, you pull the M and M. Hold on. Let me turn this rock over. Oh, Mark did that. No, I, I beat you to every punch, and it's not for you. It was for me and my healing and my growth and my understanding of myself. Because I'm going to keep messing up. Because I'm going to keep trying. And in that trying and attempts, I have a person who is non-binary in my life. They are incredible. I love them. Yeah. I described them as she in an Instagram post because I didn't know any better four years ago. Right. They corrected me very quickly in a loving and kinding way, kindness way. And I just shared that message of being corrected. I was like, God, like I apologize to those who have never spoken to me because I didn't get their designation correct. Right. I just didn't, I didn't know. I say man all the time. Cause it's part of my like slang right. and I got corrected in a New York cafe by somebody who was non-binary. I was like, I am so sorry. And they're like, I can tell. But, but things evolve like things that it, it, society evolves. Like think about the things you could say 10 years ago, comedians are under fire for this now all the time, but things that we, we just evolve as people. And I love the fact that you're, you're willing to own up to your mistakes and just apologize because I mean, sometimes that's all it takes. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't understand. Can we move past this? And people are just like, okay, cool. You really didn't seem like you knew. So I'm glad that you said that. Um, I have a couple more questions for you, Mark. Out yeah, of, dive in, man. Out of everything that you kind of, man, you've had some amazing experiences, brother. Like you, you've, you, you've been all over the world. You're working for United Nations, working at the Vatican, which is amazing. So for you, like what's, 
what's one or two really memorable experiences that you've had in your life? Oh, man, I was just reflecting on one of these playing records the other day. And um, the one that I'll share on a high level is getting to work with Prince for, you know, almost five years. Wow. Um, Prince was an artist that, like, I can remember renting the Purple Rain tape, renting, sorry, taking out the Purple Rain tape from the Cole Harbor Library. <laughs> um, and popping that, popping it in my Walkman because you know, couldn't afford to buy it. No. Uh, and, and rocking it and just being like touched in a way that I didn't know was possible musically. Um, and just like having emotions and like visions and like all of the things that music can do for you and setting in my brain being like one day, you know, I would love to, to see a Prince concert. That was my goal. Um, what ended up happening is I got connected to his DJ at the time in 2013, DJ Rashida, who remains a friend and and an incredible DJ. And she sat down with me at one of my venues and our, our partner, who's a dear friend as well, who was working for me at the time named Hashem Mills, who was on Raucous Records for a while back in the day, had a premier produced joint and was working for me as our forward facing um, sandwich person doing the good work at Save On Meats when we launched. And so he knew Rashida from L.A. for music. We all get together and Ra is like, hey, so. Um, I work with Prince. I'm like, I'm aware. And she's like, yeah. And he is anti-establishment. Um, and I asked around a lot and apparently you're the guy that can handle after parties, um, and levels of like setting up events, et cetera. I'm like, yeah, I absolutely can. What do you need? And she was like, well, Prince would, and I would like you to handle the after party here for Vancouver. And I was like, yeah, of course I'd be more than honored to do that. What are the parameters we got into that? Not important to the story. And she was like, actually, would you be able to handle it for all of Canada? And I said, of course. And so I said, when is it? And she said, next week. <laughs> oh, just next week? <laughs> Let's go. For one of the biggest and artists in history? <laughs> ever. And so she was like, would you also play records? And I was like, it would be my honor. She's like, they can't have any curse words. I was like, I don't know if I have any that don't have curse words. <laughs> uh, so I not only got the distinct honor and pleasure of meeting some of the most important people in my life, including an ex-partner uh, who managed him for a long time, um, who was just in- incredible and changed my perception on a lot of things. But I got to open for the man many times oh and it shows that age and bring him to people. So the after parties were never more than three or 400 people. Um, they usually started at two or three in the morning and they would go till seven or eight. He played with his back to the crowd. He played every instrument uh, and blew people away. He was also the first donor ever to our charity. He gave me 150 tickets and said, <laughs> super classic, don't sell them for less than $100, but whatever you get for them is fine to a completely sold out stadium tour. So I put it on Instagram. <laughs> There was grown ass men running down Hastings street with wads of cash trying to get these tickets. So the first, I think it was almost $5,000 that we raised was because of he, um, he checked this out. So I opened a live music venue here called the port side. I wanted it to be East coast. I wanted it to be live music. He was touring with third eyed girl at the time. And he would like, he, when he was working with artists, he worked with artists, like ran the boards was all over the sound men was all over the lighting text, all of it. He managed all of it. And so he was there and I asked through Julia, who's my ex-partner. I was like, it'd be incredible if he came to open the port side. And she was like, I'll ask him. And she did. And he was like, of course. And so third eye girl, I opened the port side and he came and he came in the back door and people's faces were melting. Right. It's like, it's Prince. Um, But he was just 
the things that we know he did and then the things that nobody knows he did, his generosity was at levels that nobody could ever understand or fathom. Um, and the funny one for you, because you're going to get this, and it'll be the first time we ever actually had a conversation was after the second show that we did. It was in Victoria, BC. The green room was about size, half the size of this living room. The whole band was sitting in a horseshoe. I had just finished breaking everything down. My hair was like way curly and crazy. I had Kazals on and I was just dead tired. I hadn't slept in a couple of days to make sure this whole thing happened. The show was immaculate. The mayor was there. The province was there. And I walk in and he's like, oh, you know who you look like? And I was like, if you say MC search, we have a problem. And he's like, how did you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so one, one of the great honors of my life, um, I was actually with that partner when he passed. We were in San Francisco um, and tragic loss, obviously a huge loss for the whole world because there was only one of him. But it was my deep honor to be able to work closely um with that that group of people bro that is amazing that is an amazing story man i could definitely see how that would be a high prince is one like he's like one of the most amazing artists of all time and the fact that you had this opportunity to work with him you know on a tour i mean man that must have been and then the first person to ever donate (laughs) to your 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 foundation your organization wow that's crazy man that's crazy story it's really special man He's a, he was a very special individual, um, and the gift that he gave me was the people in my life. My managing director of the USA for ABLF, for Better Life Foundation, is actually because of um, Prince. And so I mentored this young man for four or five years, and then he joined a young black man from California as my managing director this year. Um, so the gifts that, like, his tentacles uh, spread big in my life and everybody's life. Everybody's got a Prince moment. Um, yeah. whether it's just music or if they got to see him. So that would be like at the top of my, of my stories as far as like, and I don't, I don't think I've ever told that one. Um, but as far as like moments that just feel so joyous to me and like what we had to pull off. Yeah. Like it, MacGyver is an understatement. <laughs> to get these- I can imagine. Oh, oh next week we're going to, you know, but <laughs> you know, man, I think, man, that's an amazing story. Um, you know, when you think about your life, right a lot of us think about legacy and all that kind of stuff. Like, what do you want people to say about you? Nothing. Yeah. I I honestly, man, I think the true sign of a life well lived is that you'll fade and the things that you built, nobody will know that you built, right. They're just community owned. So my legacy is to push everything that I have created or things that have been created with me and teams into the hands of the people that need the most. So we create those structures financially. Um, you know, the planning used to be what happens if markets hit by a bus, right? And the way that I lead my life, <laughs> very possible. You know, I'm in the jungle of Panama cooking dinners with a headlamp, you know, <laughs> at any moment I could get taken out by a scorpion. Like, so what does it look like? What does secession look like? And we ask ourselves these questions, and when we ask them, they're egoic centered, right? Like I got a picture of Nipsey right there. There's a Jay Diller record. There's a People Under the Stairs record. Like I care deeply about those who have passed, but I don't care about what anybody thinks about me when I do. But that's interesting. Oh, so because you you just named three different artists: Prince, you you know, Nipsey, and and but 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 that's interesting that they've had this great impact on you to Mm. create the life that you want and inspired you to to be the person that you wanted to be even though people don't might not understand it 
So it's interesting that you say that and that you just want to put that energy out to other people so that these systems are sustainable and they live on forever. So I find that kind of interesting for me that you've had these major influences in your life. A lot of them came from music and then you just kind of want to fade away. I find that interesting. Yeah. It's not important to me. I I think was, was what I was really trying to drive home there is like people, when they start to see their mortality are like, Oh my God, how am I going to be remembered? Like who fucking cares? Like people will remember you the way they will remember you. Right. Like, the people who will remember me will never get a microphone. Right. right. That's they're not going to be past a microphone. Like, you know, my, my job period is to help people understand themselves and their own power and their own beauty. Right. That's, that's my job really. Everything else around it is trapping. So people not understanding me is means I'm doing it right. You no, know what I, I mean? No. People are just like, I don't really get what you do. Like I have my tattoo artist just came and did another piece for me last week. And her name is Stephanie Risa and I, I love her and she's very special. And she was like, until I spent a lot of time with you, I had no idea what you do. She's yeah. like, I've been following you like seven years. Yeah. I get she's that like, sometimes. I get it, but right. I don't know. And I'm like, that's not important. What's important is how I make you feel. And if I help you understand yourself and how to better interact with the world, that's what's important. And the societal norm of needing to understand me, who, who cares? Oh, I right? love that, man. That's, I get it, man. I definitely get it. So I got two more questions for you before we wrap up. But is there anything that you want me to ask you that I haven't asked you yet? No, man. I, you know, I just appreciate this container and the comfort of 30 years of friendship and, you know, just being able to share in this way and whoever this reaches, I think is really important. So whatever you've got written down there, let's ride. Yeah, I got two. I always ask people to, to end with these two questions. Um, you know, the show is called the Grind and Gratitude Show. So first one is like, what does grind mean to you? This is this answer will be twofold, right? Um, I was born a workaholic. And I and I mean that in, in a non-positive way. <laughs> I, like I, I, I work too much. I still work too much. And it's because I have a really hard time reconciling, reconciling the amount of pain in the world, yeah. knowing that I have resource that can change it. And that's unhealthy. It's super unhealthy. And the terminology grind can also be very unhealthy in the way that we frame it. Now, the flip of that is I get great satisfaction personally and professionally from working my ass off. There's, both things are true. And something that we don't talk about enough is there are multiple truths at play all the time. And our perception of reality is completely individual, right? So we got to stop holding these things and be like, it can only be this or it can be this. It's like, no, it's both. And both is I'm so appreciative for my relentless work ethic. And also I'm very careful of the damage that it's done to me physically and mentally. So you've got to be able to find balance. And so in grind where I've pivoted mine, and we shared this before we hit record is, I need to figure out how to like grind hard to make sure that this container mentally and physically is at its absolute peak. So I can continue to grind in the way that I'm going to anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's really important to me. And I have gratitude for awareness, right? So I think what happens with our understanding of ourselves and others is that we are aware. We are all conscious and aware. It's what we choose to engage in, to serve our own narrative and ego. 
Mm. So whether it's our fault, our flaw, or our power, people are terrible at taking compliments. Again, I don't know if you know DJ starting from scratch had me on a mental health panel. That's like yeah. my brother. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love him, man. He's dope. Yeah. He had me on a mental health panel. Like I work with Jazzy Jeff on his playlist retreat as a coach, and I work in impact and I did a keynote last year. And Mark saw my talk and was like, man, we gotta be friends because I have anxiety and addiction issues bad. And I was like, cool, let's let's holler. And so we were hanging out and we had a couple hundred people in the room. It was myself, him, a mental health advocate, and a um an actor and so we're in the room and i was like i'm gonna give you a compliment both of you this actor and Mar- and they were like the, you their physical body changed yeah they were like and we're taught to deflect and we're taught to not because it's oh don't let your ego get carried away like it's a praise is important yeah it's incredibly important to praise people to mean it and so i You cut out there. With you? Got you now. Yeah. Okay. You can't talk about gratitude without being able to receive it. You are not allowed to give it unless you agree to receive it. And that should just be a universal truth. If I say to you, Danny, I'm so proud of you, the books that you've written, the work that you've put in, you know how to receive that. In receiving it, it's not to pump your tires. You're also honoring me. If somebody gives you a compliment and you deflect it, you've disrespected them. You've disrespected that person. And I mean that in the truest sense of it. You basically dissed them. If somebody comes to you and says, you've helped me change my life. And you're like, cool. Because you're physically uncomfortable because of your prior trauma or what people have told you about don't get too high on yourself. Fuck all that. Mm -hmm. You look that person in the eyes and you say, thank you. I appreciate you, no matter how uncomfortable it is. So I was working with Mark and this actor on that live on Twitch with a couple hundred people watching. And he was like, I hate you right now. <laughs> I was like, you got to learn the skill, dude. You have to learn the skill to be able to take the call. You don't have to be like, no, I know. That's different. You have to be like, I appreciate you. That's gratitude, right? And then the work, the real work begins of believing it. I love myself. I believe I'm important. I'm important to me. I love me. That shit is like counterintuitive to everything we've been taught. It is. It is. And you have to do it. It's the only way we're going to heal a society. The reason people are so angry, the reason people have got firearms, the reason people hate each other and are deeply entrenched on message boards and on Reddit and writing blog posts is because they can't fucking love themselves. Absolutely. If they could, the world would be a different place, man. But the Beatles had some shit right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They, they absolutely did, man. Wow. Wow. That That's was what so those good, things man. Be that was good. I love that. I love I love your breakdown of grind and gratitude. That that was so amazing, man. Uh so before we wrap up, where can people find you? What, you know, let them know where they can get in touch with you, where they can see your stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, the easiest way to find me is on Instagram. Um, I'm just at my name, Mark.Brand. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time for social media. So what I do usually goes there and then aggregates out. So you can find me there. Uh, I'm on Twitch DJing a couple of the, uh, days a week, uh, every Saturday at The Real Mark Brand. Um, if you haven't gone on to Twitch, it is a real community. It's not just video gamers. Uh, there's a DJ community on there. You can find everybody from Hank Shockley to Lord Finesse. Like Everybody, if you love music, is on there playing records right now. And it's free. 
Yeah. So come hang out with folks. The community is very deep. It's real. Outside of that, my website's my name, INC, and uh, you can find it in notes for the podcast. You can check out my projects there. And yeah, if, if I can be of help to you, reach out and like drop a note on socials. And if I, if I can get to it, I absolutely will. will do my best. Wow. Well, listen, anybody who's watching right now, make sure you follow Mark Brand. I mean, you can you hear all the amazing stuff that he's doing. He's authentic. He's real. Uh, he's himself. And, you know, he's just somebody who's out here to spread love and joy and happiness and, and really to kind of get you to see who you are. And so I love that about Mark. I've been, I love seeing your updates and your stories. So if you're not following him, make sure that you follow him and um, make sure that you follow me at I am Danny Stone on Instagram. Mark, thanks so much, my brother. I really appreciate this. Pleasure, man. It's been really wonderful to reconnect with a bigger purpose. So lots of love. Stay safe out there. And uh, we'll talk real soon. All right, my man. Take care, brother. Thanks so much for being my co-host on this episode of the Grind and Gratitude Show. I really appreciate you. I hope that you learned something and you're motivated to take action and get on your grind. Didn't that go by fast? If you want more, head over to grindandgratitude.com for show notes and more information about this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a rating so more people will tune in. And let me say this, there's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it.